Take care, everyone. Take care. Take care. Welcome to the 32nd minute of Awake Minute by Minute podcast uh, with Priyank, Mike, and myself. This week I'll be hosting Mike Priyank. How are you guys? How's life in uh, Los Angeles, Mike? It is excellent. I noticed that um, Californians, there's also winter here. It's not always sunny, oh, yeah. but so better than what I'm used to. Winter is in like 20 odd degrees cold still. Yeah. Sometimes this weekend it was. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was in Marbella for Christmas one year and myself, and my sister were walking down the promenade in shorts and, you know, uh, our, our beach get up. And everybody was walking around scars and, and coats and <laughs> looked at it as, as if we were mad. Um, <laughs> so all relative. Here I am talking about the weather. Priyank, how are you? <laughs> Very good, thank <laughs> you. This in a, in, tomorrow I'm flying to Hungary, so um, need to uh, pack. What, what are you going to Hungary for? Seeing a friend. I was going to go to Vienna, but Mike advised against it. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You said, like, it's something like the worst place in the world. No. <laughs> it's good. Well, good to good to see you guys again. And um, this week we have a very exciting minute. One of my uh, favorite topics, personal topics. I do love this uh, subject is uh, really on Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about Jesus Christ in this minute. And really uh, on the, uh, in terms of the coverage of uh, the minute itself, we have Yogananda speaking and scenes of him speaking at the uh, Mother Center in LA again, which is really powerful to hear his voice and see those scenes. Um, uh, Philip Goldberg, he's he's in there twice, and Professor Clooney's in there twice, and they're all saying, uh, by by and large, the, the same thing. Um, Yogananda really strikes the point uh, home uh, at the at the very beginning of the the minute by t t saying that true Christianity has been lost and forgotten and the uh, ancients in India, uh, you know, what they taught has been lost and forgotten as well. Um, and he really uh, was looking to reignite the true meaning of Christianity um, and uh, revive it uh, uh, to be, uh, you know, a, a highway to the, to the infinite. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about some controversial subjects uh, and um, share information. Uh, so listeners, um, jump in and share share whatever information you have on the subject. Um, so, really, uh, you know, th this this is going to be a rather unstructured kind of uh, minute, and we'll just uh, jump in with questions and talk about subjects as we go through. So, none none in any important uh, important order. Um, First off, I, I wanted to talk about really what Yogananda did say in, in the early part of the minute, which was uh, true Christianity had been lost. Um, what, what do you guys think he meant by true Christianity? Um, Priyank, what, what, do you, what do you think he meant by that? I think we've, um, we've talked about this in the past. It's really about, you know, how people just, the, the whole blind faith argument and churchianity going to, God, sorry, going to church just to, you know, please God and not be damned to hell and just doing it because you have to do it as opposed to doing it because there's a sincere seeking and, you know, devotion and not that that doesn't exist, but in the majority of the cases, that's not there, isn't it? That's, mm -hmm. that's what I'm, I think this is what um, 
he's talking about. And I, just as a side note, I love how he says forgotten. He says, he says like for, forgotten. I, I liked how he said it. Mm, yeah, yeah, lots of meaning behind the words. Mm. Um, Mike, do you think there's there's anything more to that than you know people's general commitment and uh, practice of Christianity, or do you think uh, Yogananda is trying to insinuate something something else might be uh, uh, going on behind the scenes that Christianity has been been forgotten or have we been misled? Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure we have been misled over the centuries. You have to give. Um, Christianity, you have to cut it some slack because Christ came 2000 years ago, right? And we still know about Christ. So there's still some of it left, but of course not in the in the way that it was instated. Um, Guruji does say in that same sentence, he talks about the highway to the infinite, which is of course Kriya Yoga. And I guess this is one part that definitely got lost somewhere. Um, and I'm not sure if when Christ taught Kriya Yoga, if if at this time it was meant to be a technique for everyone or how they determined who to um, initiate into it. And many, many other things have, have changed as well. Um, one of the things was that the idea that there is a soul in everybody that is um, as perfect as God and many other ideas um, have been changed over the years. And I don't think they have been changed in the, in the idea that Jesus would have wanted it. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it does lead me into thinking of why there's quite a anti-Christian mindset in some of the Western world where the idea of God has itself become quite debated. Uh, over that people are quite anti-God. They don't want to see God as the man, the white, the white guy with the beard up in heaven, um, you know, casting judgment uh, on, on people, sending people to hell for, for eternity. And there, I, I think there's quite a stigmatism with this old kind of concrete way of thinking about what God is um, that has been taught in many Christian faiths. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about this because as, as we're going through these yugas, and coming into more, uh, you know, higher ages of understanding and able to understand more abstract ideas and in, in material uh, senses, um, we, we've, we're coming out of more of a hardline, concrete thinking of um, of, of the Bible, um, and whatever isn't in the Bible really isn't relative to my faith. Um, so, so I think it was highlighted really by. Um, uh, uh, by uh, one, of the, one of the guys in, on, on the podcast, um, uh, Professor Clooney, who had uh, said that the laser focus was uh, uh, that in the Bible, um, it, it wasn't really needed. Uh, and, and Paramahansa Yogananda's comments of committing to your faith uh, and sticking at it was that we shouldn't really waver from faith to faith. So it made me think, you know, what are our thoughts on this? Um, should we, regardless of what depths and complexities that are actually covered in the Bible, um, should we waver from, from, from that and look elsewhere for truth as, you know, as Christians maybe, or, or should we stay steadfast to sticking to the Bible, knowing the, the try the uh, absolute truth and, and perceive it uh, purely uh, and, and really commit to it? Uh, what, what's, what's, your, what's your idea on that, if I convey that idea um, question uh, clearly enough? Uh, should people kind of forget, like if it's not in the Bible, stick to the Bible, or should they seek uh, truth elsewhere? Priyank. 
Yeah, I think Phil, um, uh, Francis, Professor Clooney said something along these lines. He said, um, just because I belong to one faith doesn't mean that I can't learn something from another faith. And he goes even one step further. He said, he said that sometimes another faith can help me strengthen my own faith. And in that, I think there's something very deep in that. So, for example, for, for, for Christians generally, you know, the techniques of meditation are not very clear in, in, um, in the Bible and in, in, in the Gospels. But clearly, obviously, that's the opposite of the case in Buddhist, Buddhism and Hinduism. And, you know, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, we get exact techniques of how to meditate. And that doesn't mean just because you're using those techniques, you stop being Christian. So really, in, in that respect, you can certainly use it. And that's that same thing also goes for um, Hinduism, for example, they say, like, for example, the second part of what Yogananda says is, um, and what the ancients taught in India has been lost and forgotten. So Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is ba basically saying has been lost and forgotten. And that, again, going back to the Yuga's uh, debate, it's, I think it's a, lo a lot of it is down to that. And, you know, I look at the some of the branches in Hinduism that operate purely on a devotional level and ritual level and you know all that kind all the, all the superficial practices in in worship um so offering or physically offering food to a deity and all these you know all these things that um, are very gross and subtle as you go subtle is obviously more there is no need for a a form of you know a deity in front of you you just have to close your eyes and look inward and the ultimate deity is within you so that's the from the grossest to the subtlest and you know that gross method of worship is a big big part of the you know what what was what was advocated in the um in the kali yuga as krishna said that's the most appropriate because the consciousness in man is so gross the form of worship is also gross and hence devotion is such a big element and lots of paths will con consider that we're still in the Kali Yuga so they carry on these practices so then we can we need to you know go back to what Patanjali and you know Sri Yukteswar and our gurus say and and really refine the way we worship and so it's not just Christianity that needs to do that uh, it's uh, all um, faiths and even faiths inside of faiths, like for example, myself is, is a case in point. Um, I only started meditating after coming into this path, even though I was born a Hindu and, you know, everyone knows what meditation is. Mm. Mike, what's your take on this? I think um, Priyank had a good point with comparing religions of East and West. And I think if you think about the Yugas, one of the things that Sri Yukteswar says is that in the, in the, descending yugas the knowledge it gets lost and and it get lo gets lost in the way that it gets fragmented as the earth fragments into different countries different cultures different religions each of that knowledge a fragment of this whole knowledge lands in each of those countries and it's it's still there it's just um some there's religions that focus more on worship, that there is religions that focus more on the supernatural aspects of God. And um, you, you have to see that that um, Christianity 
uh, does some really good things, right? As well, like like all the other religions, it it is it is holds people to become charitable. There is this whole Christian morality. Those are all good things. But then some things were maybe purposefully taken out. Like it doesn't encourage you to go out there and seek truth. It doesn't go out there and find God within you because they removed it from the teachings. They say God is not within you. God is within Christ. And so you should worship Christ. And if you want to know Christ, you got to come to us. So it became like a, a funnel towards them. Mm. And there, so in, in that sense, being a good Christian, in my opinion, is also thinking outside the box, trying to fi figure out what was the original meaning of Christianity. And if it's in the Bible or not, is maybe since the Bible has been tampered with over the centuries, is maybe not always the only way to find an answer. Yeah, it's a, it's a probably one of the more controversial subjects that the, the Bible may have been tampered with. <laughs> and we can we can delve into this in a little bit more detail. I know Mike, you've got something pretty interesting to share on on, uh, on the fringe subject there. Um, where, where, where my thinking was, was, you know, why is there such segregation, let's say, but, you know, for some, some people who, you know, follow Christianity and other, other religions. Um, and when I was thinking about this, there was a line, um, I think it was John 14, and I've, I've got it, I've got it written down here, uh, where Jesus was comforting his disciples, I believe, um, I believe it might have been in the last supper. And he said, um, uh, you know, what, one particular thing in, in, uh, that's interesting, but I'll read it out here, uh, verse uh, two through six. Uh, My father's house has many rooms. Uh, if that were not so, would I have told? Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas then uh, replied to say to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said uh, in answer, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a really beautifully powerful statement to say. Um, and I suppose we have our interpretations of that, given our um, say education and, and learning through SRF and other other channels but you would be kind of forgiven to think like you're reading that and to say that the only person to follow to get to God is through Jesus would you not Mike? is this this is how I'm interpreting it and I have um, I suppose uh, people in my life that would see Jesus as the only way and everything else might be kind of you know hearsay in a sense what, what's your thoughts on that? Would that be true? I mean, the question then is, how do you, like, it's very abstract in that way that it doesn't tell you how to talk to Jesus, right? So then what do you do? Imagine you actually want to become, um, what what is your, what is your goal in life? You want to reach it and now you're asking Jesus, but I feel like it doesn't give you uh, concrete concrete steps in what to what to do, right? It tells you what to think, and then you can talk to people from the church. But this whole part of 
um, finding truth within you is not there. And that makes it kind of very, very difficult um, to, to apply in my life. Like for me, when I was young, I grew up in a very Catholic country and I found all the counsel I got from Catholic church very difficult to apply in my life. That's what I would say. Yes, uh, just in response to your question, I was thinking about this actually. And yeah, I share your same um, experiences about, uh, you know, hardline Christians that, you know, Jesus is, he said he's the only way. So surely he's, if you if you agree he's, you know, the savior of mankind, then he, he himself says he is the only way. So what are you doing following Krishna and or Yogananda? Mm-hmm. And I read, I read this, and and if you, if you, if you, if you allow me to indulge in some interpretation, so for example, he says, "No one comes to my father except through me." And now, we can you can you can read that in two ways. You can read that in one way, which is the gross way, which is how me, him, him, him as him, him as saying me as he's talking about him himself, Jesus, the man, or he, you can read it as him himself jesus the christ and then if you read it in the second way the jesus the christ you know he is the christ is the only way to get to the father then that opens up the channel to um, other bible biblical passages like um to as many as received him to to them he gave the power to be the sons of god and so how many sons of god are there and so he is obviously a son of god but as many as received him so in my interpretation that would be any self-realized saint or self-realized master such as any in our holy lineage so that is a broader and i think if you if you read the context and also apply it to the other parts of the bible um, and the other gospels as well then you kind of um, you get a, a much better reading of that scenario yeah exactly what i was thinking and to your point, uh, Mike, you know, whenever whenever I was growing up in the Protestant faith, I kind of sat there and thought to myself, like this, even even me as a as a kid, I could I could think like this is quite a literal interpretation of, of what might otherwise be be meant. And uh, what's beautiful about the Hindu religion um, is the diversity uh, of of uh, view, the individuality. Uh, for that's taken uh, to find God to, to know divinity and and that's that's an awesome thing um I, I did uh, take a little bit here um, on on this uh, subject that Gandhi had spoken about um, Priyank, do you want to yeah sure so read? of Christ Gandhi has written I'm sure that if he were living here now among men he would bless the lives of many people who have perhaps, never even heard his name just as it is written not every one that saith unto me lord lord but he that doeth the will of the father in the lesson of his own life jesus gave humanity that, that magnificent purpose and a single objective toward which we all we all ought to aspire I believe that he belongs not solely to Christianity, but to the entire world, to all lands and races. Yeah, very, very beautiful um, statement there from from Gandhi. And he he talked about the Hindus and having um, 
you know, many, many, uh, many different roots. You know, man can worship God according to his own faith or dharma, um, and so lives at peace with all religions. And that, that's just a wonderful thing to teach, you know, and a wonderful way to be, to have, uh, you know, peace in your hearts and to, to have um, faith in, in the process, I suppose, and not look to be at odds with other religions. So we're talk, talking about religion here. It is just a, a bit, it can be quite a touchy subject. Um, but there is unity in all religion, as, as Yogananda taught. Um, so the the uh, bit here that um, I, I thought was quite funny in the minute was there was a big picture or image rather of Jesus Christ standing, uh, must have been two, three stories tall in uh, an Indian village. And next it was this uh, large, uh, must be a cardboard figure of a giraffe or something in there. And uh, I just thought this is great to see because you know you wouldn't you wouldn't really see that in the UK, um, you know where Christianity is big. So uh, I have I've never been to India. You know how is uh, uh, Jesus Christ perceived in in India, Frank? Yeah, so Jesus is is not really considered among outside of the Christian and Abrahamic religion uh, religions that he's not really you know there's not much focus on him but of course there are churches um you know the further south of india you to of india you go there's more and more churches because that's where um you know many of the um the churches and the um yeah many of the preachers you know did their did their thing a lot of it was in south india and <clears throat> so they, you'd see churches next to temples and and the like and to some, they don't go in. Obviously, they think, "Oh, that's that's a scary-looking white building." You know, we're used to our colourful, lovely, you know, ornate marble buildings, and so it's a bit scary. Uh, but to to most, it's actually it's actually just another house of God. So, and Christ is just another another one of our, you know, realised masters and he and and this applies to me as well when i came to this country when i was young i also mm -hmm. just saw him as another master you know another realized master prophet or son of god or whatever you want to whatever label you want to uh, you know ascribe to that divinity that was born in jesus jesus christ mm. yeah it's it's always been a funny one um uh you know yogananda talked about uh, jesus christ appearing to him and in different ways, uh, blue eyes, brown eyes, uh, and you know we have Professor Clooney on the show talking about how he grew up with an Irish Jesus, and I'm sure if you were you know in different parts of the world, <laughs> you essentially would have a different form of Jesus. But he was um, uh, uh, look, he was a Jew, right? So he um, would have had uh, the features of people who were you know born uh, in in the area of which he was born so um we do depict him as we want to see him um but uh what, one thing that professor Clooney said uh, that i thought was interesting on on the podcast um going back and listening to it again uh, he said that he, he didn't really know of any other indian yogi talking about um jesus in the way paramahansa yogananda talked about jesus and it struck uh, i guess a question to my mind of why you know why why do you think this was um jesus is such a big figure and you know the Western world is really molded on um, Jewish Christian faith, uh, so he had a huge impact uh, on the world. But why why is it in India that he may not be covered or talked about as much? 
Uh, Mike, I'll give this one to you first. I didn't really understand the question. So is it why, why do you think he, he came to the West and talked a lot about Jesus or why is he not covered a lot in India? I suppose why, maybe both, but uh, why would he not be talked about as much in, um, in, in, by Indian yogis or uh, other, other faiths in, in India? I mean, I feel like religion in the Kali Yuga has a lot to do, is, there's like a certain tribalism about religion. And the idea that you have like an open society and everybody follows the prophet he wants, that's not a Kali Yuga idea. And I think India is, and maybe some other countries are a bit unique in having different kind of faith in the, in the country, but even there, it was partially territorial and it was because there was, there were Hindus and then, then Muslims came and conquered them and then they left again and the Buddhists came and conquered them and then they left again. And, um, and there was, um, I think the only Christian, I don't think there was a, there was a, after Christ, any, 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 Christian force that would have ever invaded India. So I guess that's why it doesn't play a big role. The Apostle Thomas, of course, went to India and hence there is a sizable amount of Christians in the South, like Priyank said. Um, but I, I feel like this, this, this idea of, of um, one country, one religion has kind of always been there in the Kali Yuga and, and um, Christianity just wasn't there for, for India in, at this moment. I think that's the main reason. Grant, what's, what's your take on it? Why, why do you not think he's more widely discussed? Well, uh, it's quite a controversial one, actually, because <laughs> it, in, in some ways, you in answering this question, you have to kind of almost have to a little bit belittle the belittle Christ because, and I'll justify what I'm saying. One, I think um, recently I put a post up uh, with Jesus Christ and Krishna. <clears throat> Krishna was obviously a cowherd and Christ was a shepherd. And Krishna, Christ, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities in their birth. There was controversy and, you know, their birth had been foretold and a lot of adversity around their birth. People wanted to kill kill the, the baby born Krishna, etc. So there's a lot of similarities and and the, the post just talked about Yogananda's interpretation of that and the fact that the, even though their similarities are there, they're not the same person. They're from different different uh, paths. But someone, someone so it was, it was, I thought it was quite a nice post and most people did. But someone said, someone no doubt of Indian origin posted saying, Jesus, you know, Jesus may have been, you know, the son of God and, you know, he's, he may have been divine, you know, a realized master, but Krishna is the, the Lord and the cause of creation. So in that respect, you can't compare Jesus, the son, compared to the father and the whole creation that exists in Krishna. And there's an element of truth to that because truth, not in the sense of what he's, how he's justifying it, but in terms of the grandeur and the glory of the divinity, divine incarnations that, um, that India, Indian religions glorify. So we talk about, you know, Krishna and, and if, and if you think that, um, you know, the resurrection of Christ is, is miraculous. And, you know, that's something the Western world would have, would have never, you know, even contemplated, but until, until it happened. And obviously that, that made 
Jesus that much more famous after doing performing such a miracle. But if you compare the miracles that Krishna Krishna has has, um, has performed in his life, and we can debate which ones are real and which ones aren't, but they don't compare. So Krishna's Krishna's miraculous life story and Christ is, is incomparable. And obviously, they've got they've got different messages and different methods of reaching the population. And this is just Krishna. Now, if you talk about Shiva, Shiva's are uh, even you know even grander and crazier than Krishna's. Krishna was, for example, Krishna was born as a you know a child, and we know about all his his childhood. Whereas Shiva's doesn't even have a birth. He's he he is creation. So then we're talking about levels of like. Um, um levels of understanding that you can't really even describe these, these are much more experiential um so in, in that it's uh that's that's uh, that's possibly why because because of those uh reasons that i mm-hmm. just identified did, did, it, did it offend you as a christian chris <laughs> well it's funny because you know we we all northern ireland is a bit of a bubble and I mean that in a, in, a, in a very endearing way. It's a lovely place, but uh, you don't really know too much beyond your own kind of world in a sense there, because there's a lot of controversy, Protestant, Catholic. And, you know, I remember I was going up with a girl one time and she she asked me, you know, if I was Catholic and I said, no. She said, well, what are you, Protestant? I said, no, no I'm, I guess, no, I'm not Protestant. And she said, well, if you're not Catholic or Protestant, what are you? <laughs> and I, I, I remember at the time I thought it was absurd because, you know, I, I, I knew you didn't have to be either for one, but there are other religions, right? But to many people, they kind of don't exist. And I kind of thought, is it, I wonder if it's the same in India. It's like you're either Hindu or you're nothing. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing else out there but you know, what we kind of follow is our faith. But I mean, you're shaking your head, uh, Frank, I, I guess that's not true. No, no, that's, no, that's not true. And there's no, there's no hard line-ism amongst mainstream, mainstream mm. uh, followers of Hinduism. Obviously the right-wingers mm. do exist and they will say some of the stuff, but I, but I think that's a lot because of the invasions and the influence of the Western religions and in, in, in the, their method of preaching and forced conversions, etc. Then you, then those, hard hard right wing um you know sections of hinduism have come out because of that reason but generally in the population that that's not the case mm. very good very good now um if i can gather my thoughts i did want to talk about um what phil goldberg initially said in the minute which was you know one of the keys uh of yogananda's popularity in america was uh, his affection for Jesus, and he even placed Jesus on on the altar, as uh, we mentioned there, uh, in the lineage for SRF. And I remember when I first came to SRF, I kind of thought to myself, you know, what uh, what is the connection with Jesus and Krishna? Because I could see the very clear connection with the gurus, you know, um, Yogananda with Sri um, Yukteswar, uh, um, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, Lahiri Mahashaya and, and Babaji, um, but I didn't really see the connection with um, with uh, Jesus Christ or Krishna. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit in here um, that uh, would talk about the lineage. Uh, Frank, um, do you want to read out the, there, there is quite a bit of information here, so we, we can just kind of 
punch through it and it talks about the science of Kriya Yoga, but I think it kind of sets the context, but um, feel free to use your artistic license here. Do you want to read out the first first part um, of uh, what, what is taken from the autobiography of a yogi to explain this? Yeah. Um, is that from Master Expounded, the Christian Bible? Uh, no, this is the uh, Times Paramahansi referred to Jesus in the autobiography um, and the SRF lineage Kriya connection. Okay. The um, second one, yep. The science second. of Kriya? Yes. Okay. The, the, the first one you want me to read out? Please, yeah. yeah. The, the science of Kriya Yoga mentioned so often in these pages became widely known in modern India through the instrumentality of Lili Mahasaya. The Sanskrit word for Kriya is Kri, to do an act, and the same root is found in Karma, the natural principle of cause and effect. Kriya Yoga is thus the union with the infinite through the certain or action, certain action or right. A yogi who faithfully follows a technique is gradually freed from the karma or the universal chain of causation. Um, so Kriya is an ancient science. Lady Mahasha received it from his Guru Babaji, who discovered and clarified the technique after it had been lost in the dark ages. Kriya Yoga, which I'm giving to the world, in this 19th century, Babaji told Lady Mahasaya, is the same, is the revival of the same science that Krishna gave millenniums ago to Arjuna, and which was later known to Patanjali and to Christ, St. John, St. Paul, and to other disciples. So therein is a little bit of a link. Um, in that in that link, I think what happens, I think we, we're going to talk about this in a bit, but in the in the lost years of Christ. Um, you know, from his, from the ages of 18, no, 12 to 29, I believe. So 18 years of his life, we, the Bible knows not a, uh, an iota about. But of course, we, we through Yogananda, know that he came to the East. And we'll talk about that. But Mahavatar Babaji and Christ, Yogananda say, says, um, worked out the formula or the recipe for, you know, spiritual spirituality and the raising of consciousness through the millenniums to come and, mm. and that was that formula was applied in the west through jesus christ of course and in in the east through other methods mm -hmm. and, and they talk there um about uh, elijah jesus kabir I, I didn't actually know who kabir was it's mentioned here in the, in the second uh, paragraph and other prophets were past masters in the use of kriya and or uh, another similar technique by which they cause their bodies to de dematerialize at will. Um, Kabir, Kabir is a very famous um, poet um, in India um, and he's got some absolutely phenomenal poems and I'll, I'll find some but he, he, he was he was um, he was such that no no one faith like held on to him every faith considered him as theirs that's, that was the uh, power, though he was, he, he was born, people would say he was born a Muslim, but he was transcendent of uh, religion. And I remember, um, what's it called? The, I think was it was at, at his death or another similar saint. So after he died, the Hindus wanted to cremate him and the Muslims wanted to bury him. But uh, obviously there was a massive fight saying, you know, we, we, we own this saint. So what happened was they... They um they opened his um his coffin where his body was supposed to be and they just found like hundred roses 
So, and the, the story was that then the Christian, the Muslims could bury the roses and the Hindus could burn or cremate the roses. Yeah, very cool. And, you know, this, there, there's a line here that I thought was, was quite, quite, um, quite cool. Uh, and there's so many conspiracies out there, isn't it? Information age and it's, there's a lot of junk out there, but there's a lot of cool stuff as well. But there is a line here that said Krishna also relates uh, that it was he in a former incarnation who communicated the indestructible yoga, uh, Kriya Yoga, I believe they're referring to here, uh, to an ancient illuminato, Vivasvat, who gave it to Manu, the great legislator. He in turn instructed Ikshvat, Ikshvaku, yes. Ikshvaku. The father of India's solar warrior dynasty, uh, and thus passed on from one to the other. The royal yoga uh, was guarded by the rishis uh, during the material ages. So the Illuminato, very similar to the Illuminati there, is that, uh, <laughs> do you think that's the connection? Is that, were these <laughs> Illuminati, the, you know, the Kriya yogis of the past? <laughs> Uh, is that what it's hinting to there? But look, it's it's really it's really interesting to me, you know, as to why um, the connection really was there. Um, so it's it's through Kriya Yoga, through the practice of the science of Kriya Yoga, um, I believe, and Yogananda is saying, look, this this is this same yoga that we practice today that they practiced uh, many many thousands of years ago. Yeah, well, I think the Illuminato in answering your question is just the illumined people as opposed to. As opposed to Some the Da Vinci Code type uh, <laughs> Illuminati secret society. Yeah. I, I, I like <laughs> the like realized the, masters. <laughs> just the Italian word for illumined. Uh, okay. Yes. There you go. Yeah. 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 Nice. So, but uh, yeah, I, I, let, I let my mind run uh, <laughs> to, enter, to entertain itself there. <laughs> but, Dan, um, Dan Brown. All, yeah, all, all, all in good fun. Um, so th there's there's a subject here. Um, if if I can uh, move on from that, if if you have anything else to jump in on uh, on that subject, please do. But if not, um, there there's a subject to my mind that uh, is quite important, and it's one of analogies in the Bible. And I think this is kind of partly why you know you're going to end up saying some of the true nature of Christianity was really lost because to understand the Bible, you've got to see it in some sense for analogy and metaphor. And when you do, then it really opens up too, right? And um, I, I just highlighted a couple of things here. You know, we could go into more detail if you like, but um, uh, I can read uh, the first one. Uh, this is uh, under the same tab of Times Parmenides that referred to Jesus in the Autobiography of Yoga, the analogies in the Bible. Um, so I'll, I'll read the first one out here, guys. Um, so the master, uh, and this is Yogananda speaking about Sri Yukteswar. Parmenides uh, said, uh, Master expounded the Christian Bible with a beautiful clarity. It was from my Hindu guru, unknown to the roll call of Christian membership, that I learned to perceive the deathless essence of the, of the Bible and to understand the truth in Christ's assertion. Surely the most thrillingly intransigent, sorry, intransigent ever uttered heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away and it goes on to talk about adam and eve here uh do one of you guys want to to read it out mike do you have it there in front of you sure 
Um, the Adam and Eve story is incomprehensible to me. I observed with considerable heat one day in my early struggles with the allegory. Why did God punish not only the guilty pair, but also the innocent unborn generations? Master was more amused by my vehemence than my ignorance. Genesis is deeply symbolic and cannot be grasped by a literal interpretation, he explained. Its tree of life is the human body. The spinal cord is like an upturned tree with man's hair as its roots and afferent, and afferent nerves as branches. The tree of the nervous system bears many enjoyable fruits or sensations of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. In these, man may rightfully indulge, but he was forbidden the experience of sex, the apple, at the center of the bodily garden. Then the serpent represents the coiled up spinal energy, which stimulates the sex nerves. Adam is reason and Eve is feeling. When the emotion of Eve consciousness in any human being is overpowered by sex impulse, his reason or Adam also succumbs. Mike, have you, you've obviously read this before, you know, did, when, when you heard about Adam and Eve, uh, did you take it as quite literal, like a, two people, one man, one woman? And what, what did you think when you maybe first read this, if you recall? Yeah, the Adam and Eve story is, is, is hard to comprehend because also you don't really know what paradise is. It's a very abstract term to me as well. And then the serpent, it, it is a story, but I never like um, read it in a way that's like, okay, like Guruji really read this and really applied it. And he said like, okay, so we, I'm here now because those people made a mistake. That's so unfair. Um, and that that kind of that kind of makes sense, and this interpretation by Sri Yukteswar is of course great. Yeah, and he goes on to say here, God made the first human bodies symbolically called Adam and Eve, <clears throat> and um, yeah, he transferred souls of uh, or divine essence of two animals, uh, and uh, he, uh, he, he he again goes on to say that therefore. Uh, not solely as a result of uh, evolution from beasts, but was produced by an act of special creation from God. The animal force, forms were too crude to express fully divinity. The human being was uniquely given a tremendous mental capacity, the thousand petaled lotus of the brain, as well as acutely awakened occult centers in the spine. This is just fantastic as a you know, ex-Christian reading this, Priyank. Have you grown up with uh, an idea that Adam and Eve might not have been a literal interpretation as well? Or? How did you never you know i always um as most people can do they just take what they want to see out of out of um, scripture so for example when i was really studying the bible i was looking for any and all um bits of hinduism in there <laughs> so for example vegetarianism is a big thing obviously in um, in hinduism and i always used to like debate about vegetarianism when i was in university and like I was reading the book of Genesis and like just in, in 29, it says, and behold, I give, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which the fruit is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you. It shall be for meat 
and then so he describes the food basically from mm. trees etc and i'm like i used to tell people that look in the first you know second page of the bible god's telling you what you guys should be eating <laughs> it's it's an, it's an interesting one because um i'll not say who but i had this debate with somebody in my in my uh, in my life um who is a devout christian um and they they say you know in the bible jesus eats meat i suppose fish and lamb i think uh, is what they say i'm not sure if it's correct is that is that right is that true and fish i think i think i think it's written about fish somewhere i can't remember about lamb though yeah, yeah, because uh, I, I would I would have the same sort of conversations, Priyank. And then this is kind of like, well, you know, if it's good for Jesus, it's good for me. I'll, I'll... <laughs> it's like, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of different because life would have been, I suppose, life would have been pretty hard two thousand years ago, right? And we don't have the agricultural system in place today. Is, um, yeah, then that's what we do today, right? Imagine you read this. Um, what we're reading now in 2000 years from now and then maybe people will have stopped eating altogether and they were like oh but they uh, they were eating back then so that's helpful mike that's helpful pretty that's, so more, be, that's more that, satya yoga yeah that would be in the ascending treta yoga that time mike yeah 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 i still think that's hopeful but yeah let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see it did it did strike me actually when i was reading this um that uh, Yogananda really is saying how uh, he was impassioned essentially by his by the passion of his guru, um, Sri Yogeshwar. And maybe to what Professor Clooney was saying, he didn't really think, uh, you know, there was another guru. Maybe I'm misquoting um, our dear uh, our dear guest, but um, <laughs> uh, hopefully not. Uh, I think, you know, the idea was that Yogananda really studied um, mm. what Jesus said in the Bible. Mm. But Sri Yukteswar seems to have done that or more, right? Um, so do you think that's where he got the inspiration from and the guidance from was from Sri Yukteswar to really study the Bible and don't take it literally and there's more to it than what you might think? I think I think more than studying it, he just interpreted and spoke mm. to the Christ within him as to what was meant by each verse. And obviously Yukteswar could do that no doubt and so because so he could interpret you know the, the the adam and eve story as as beautifully as he has done and and obviously yogananda under sri yogdeshwar's tutelage would have learned the same art and skill yeah and it, it makes sense for him right because if he would have gone to the west and would have said oh forget about christianity it's bad for you then he would have had all this opposition right against him yeah. And opposition against something that is at the core actually the same message as his right so the only real thing that made sense was to interpret um the bible in the way it was meant to be read um mm -hmm. and then use it as one of the ways to to um like um teach his message yeah and beautiful timing uh, on on Yogananda's part to come at a time when, you know, uh, we talked about it before when God was dead in the West, right? And mm. he was re reviving this uh, faith, I suppose, and, and uh, passion for for Jesus uh, uh, as well, um, which is something I know my mum loves because she's a big follower of Jesus and uh, she sees Jesus on on the SRF uh, 
lineage and she, you know she she has comfort in that as well so there's the fear of the unknown element um uh that's put to rest but uh, one thing that we have talked about already that that's let's go into more detail on is um uh the rather contentious topic of uh the uh, what, what's actually covered by in the Yoga of Jesus, the book uh, by Paramahansa Yogananda, was the lost years of Jesus Christ, as Priyanki mentioned, from the ages of 12 to 29, I think, um, uh, is correct, that uh, uh, wasn't covered in the New Testament um, of what Jesus was doing in that time. Um, Mike, I think you have uh, a little bit of info here to share. Uh, on the, of what we think Jesus was was doing during that time. So, in the in the second coming of Christ, of course, you you talk about um, there there is um, this Russian scientist uh, Notovich who who um, wrote this book. Um, the I forgot the name of the book. I think it's called The Missing Years of Jesus Christ. Um, and he went to India and he noticed that. There was, first of all, there was someone called Saint Issa, who kind of came to India exactly at that time when Jesus was not in Jerusalem. Um, and he was a young man. And from the descriptions, he seemed kind of similar to Jesus. And then you saw um, all kinds of written down um, uh, documents. The, he went to a monastery in Tibet and there were scrolls full of stories of, of Jesus being there at this monastery for years and years and having disciples and, and stories and none of which is mentioned in, anywhere in the Bible, but it's, but it's a written down account. And it's similar at the Jagannath temple at Puri. He, apparently Jesus has lived there for like two to three years and also had disciples there and stories. And, and so Notovich, he, he took all this and put it in his book. And then amazingly, Paramahansa Yogananda comes across this book and mentions it in the second coming of Christ. And basically the whole introduction in the book is about that, which is um, amazing. So shout out to Notovich. <laughs> and, and that gives us some insight in what Jesus was doing while he was in India. Hmm. Yeah. And he was he was quite criticized like and in the west i think his account is quite criticized like for example Miss, uh, professor clooney doesn't even recognize that uh, that mm -hmm. bit of historic um, evidence mm -hmm. and interestingly it was confirmed by two other even though the scrolls are now missing for uh, i'd say vested interest reasons that they're, they're missing um, because obviously it's a very christian india at that time or christian power India at the time of the discovery of these scrolls 100 years ago and um, and they're missing but um, and so he was given uh, he was Notovich was was criticized quite heavily and then interestingly a couple of other people went there and also discovered the, the scrolls before they went missing and Ramkrishna Paramans one of his uh, disciples went there and discovered and confirmed the the story as Notovich has uh, described it. But interestingly, um, when he's trying to defend himself of, of um, you know, all the critics after publishing this, he said, there are always those who love scornfully to deny when something difficult enters their consciousness. But in what way possible, in what possible way could a recent forgery penetrate into the consciousness of the whole East? R uh, R Royrick notes, um, 
the local people know nothing of any published book, i.e. Notovitches, but they know the legend and with deep reverence they speak of Isa. So I think the uh, second scholar that went and confirmed was Urorish, I think. Yeah. There, there is a conspiratorial tone here, right? And, and I think it can't be really ignored um, when you look at the nature of the creation of the Bible. And you guys tell me that I'm, I'm quite illiterate, you know, or unread when it, when it comes to the, the details of this. But I think it was made a couple of hundred years post um, Jesus' death. Um, and if maybe I'm not mistaken, it was by Constantinople, uh, who was the emperor of Rome at the time, um, who wanted a way to control his vast and growing empire, which had many different faiths and religions. And so it, confu it confuses me to some extent, you know, in the Bible, that it does seem to blend some of the paganism traditions of some worship <laughs> and, you know, Jesus, you know, we have... You know, we we have Jesus's kind of um, birth uh, celebrate or celebration around Christmas time, but um, to my mind, that's the death of the sun, isn't it? The sun goes down to this lowest point, the twenty second, sits there for three days, rises, and it, it confuses it confuses the mind a little bit, doesn't it? When when you look at all these things that have just been um, thrown together. <laughs> um, Am I, am I silly to think that, guys, or is that a common kind of thought? I think I think it's, of course, it, like a lot of people say that, um, this, this thought that um, uh, a lot of holiday, Christian holidays these days are around the time that pagan holidays were, um, mm -hmm. and it was just useful for the church to just put their holidays on those same days and just rename them so people would follow it easier. You also have to think about, um, we went from... The, the Dwapara Yuga to Kali Yuga, right? And those pagan religions, they were probably um, a worldwide religion that was there in an age of energy, in an age of astronomy, in an age where people knew what a solstice was and they knew what an equinox was. And then you come to Kali Yuga and you cannot really use those kind of terms anymore because there, aren't, there are hardly any astrologers left. Hardly anyone can read. And so you have to, I don't want to say the term, but dumb it down a bit. <laughs> and I don't know how Jesus would have handled that. I mean, he, he um, if he, I mean, he wasn't, it would have been hard for him to celebrate Easter, <laughs> but um, he, he would have, <laughs> he, would have mm. uh, he would have probably done similar things, trying to incorporate the, the old truth and and put his new his new spin on it for the new age that he came into, and in in that sense, I'm sure the church did a lot of things just in order to have people follow them, but I'm not sure to which extent in that case. Interesting, uh, Frank, you were going to speak there. Do you, do you have any comments on on how the Bible was formed and how that's? Yes, I think this this Constantinople, the, the, that theory was heavily um, like uh, controversialized even more by the Dan Brown book, The Da Vinci Code, wasn't it? That's when I that's when I first read about it. Then I did some digging. I thought, wow, there's actually truth in this. And then whenever I whenever I approach Christians about this, saying, you know, this is this is the history of the Bible. 
they um you know people some people literally decided what should be in and what shouldn't be out and what dates we should celebrate this and that the other and they're just like no no but that's that's the way god that god intended that to happen hence <laughs> the book is holy and i was like you know you could use this as a room for some you know you could you could use this as a as room for maneuver in your belief and you know expanding your belief and your brotherhood but you choose not to so that's uh, that's their prerogative of course yeah, I have. Go ahead, Mike. So I just wanted to say, like, so the guy, the emperor was named Constantine, the emperor of Rome, and the city that was named after him was Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. And there were like, there was like a council of Nicaea, and then later there was a council of Constantinople where they made changes to all kinds of things, the Bible, apparently, and also some of the belief system. That were there were there were like conflicts within Christianity back then, and they were trying to reconcile them. And that was that was in AD three two five, wasn't it? That that is correct, yeah. And then and then the Constant, but my Turkish friend told me off for calling it Constantinople. He said it's Constant Constantinople. Is how you say it, <laughs> <laughs> how, how does how does he say Porsche? <laughs> yeah it's it, it's an interesting subject and really the main reason why i bring it up is, is really to what you're going to end up saying at the very beginning which was the you know the true nature of christianity was, was lost it's been lost somehow it's lost in translation it's 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 lost in its understanding it's the, the analogy the metaphor whatever it might be whether it's been manipulated by forces for selfish purposes whatever it might be um i think it's a whole plethora of of uh things happening um over the course of millennia um so uh one thing that yogananda does do beautifully in the book uh that um i mentioned earlier the yoga of jesus uh is interpret really what was actually said um by jesus and by others uh, and he does you know a superb job and and really uh, connected me to Jesus more than I was before. Yeah, same same with my wife actually. She she read that and she she always always had an affinity for, for Jesus. But then after reading that book, she was like, "Wow, it's phenomenal." And that's the that's the light, but the Yoga of Jesus, the light version, the slim version of the book, uh, mm. the Second Coming of Christ. And you know, Yogananda kind of you know the the the, the councils that Mike talked about, Nicaea and Constantinople. The he you confirms that you know that that actually happened in in one of those books doesn't he mike and he says like the only begotten son of god begotten from the father before all ages light from light true god from true god begotten not made uh, homogeneous uh, homoousios <laughs> of one substance with the father so he kind of confirms this you know how knowledge kind of is lost or like distorted kind of thing for the next two millennia. Yeah, so this, this word homo, homo useus is very controversial because that was kind of the compromise that they came up with, that Jesus was homo useus, which is like one, the same as God kind of. But, but before, like the way um, Guruji described it is that when Jesus talks about the son of God, he's talking about the soul, the soul in each man. And what the church is doing here is they're taking this away from everybody. They're saying there's only one son of God, and that is Jesus. 
and you are not a son of God. And and that and that is kind of it, you can interpret this in many ways, but for me, it's one way to to kind of start using Christianity more as a as a as a way to rule over people than to yeah. actually yeah. Um, make it a vehicle for their self liberation. Yeah, um, but, but you know, by, by in doing that, they would have had to change so much of the Bible, which they couldn't, obviously. So, mm-hmm. for example, that the the passage I quoted previously, I. Uh, to as many as those that received him to, to them he became gave them the power to be the sons of god you know you can't it's in the bible you can't like then make you can't change that yeah. <laughs> that's like a complete uh complete parable in itself isn't it you can't even though you, this theory you can preach it to you know the homoousius is it that right mike uh you can pre- you can tell all the ministers to preach it in their sermons but they can't you can't change some of the meanings of the on the text that are there Mm-hmm. yeah there's oh no, no mike continue and then amazingly um one of the things that he also writes in the second coming is uh, i want to read this a little bit um he, he says that uh, emperor constantine when he organized the, the council of nicaea they promiscuously put all the books that were referred to the council for determination under a communion table in a church they besought the lord that the inspired writings might get upon the table while the spurious ones remained underneath and that it happened accordingly. And nobody knows what really happened there, but basically this is this hints towards that they changed the composition of the New Testament at this point, which is heavily, it's not even debated, it's basically said that it hasn't happened in, in, in other sources. Uh, so, well, you said there is a conspiratorial tone to it. This is this is like something that is controversial, but yeah, for me, all conspiracy ends when Guruji says it. <laughs> and you know, what one of one of the topics that's clearly uh, not included in the Bible for any discussion uh, on the face of it is um, incarnation. Um, we talked a little bit about that just before we uh, started recording, um, and incarnation is a big one. Because uh, you, with incarnation, effectively um, uh, sleep in the bed you make. Is that the saying? You know, you you effectively uh, have to uh, come back and deal with your wrong actions. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful concept in a sense. Although I think Yogananda talks about it um, potentially being the work of Satan, uh, which uh, you know I, I think is a topic. Or discussion another day but it allows you to say okay well I, re- I really am responsible uh you know for my for my actions um and in, in effect if you talk to a christian about this it's just simply b- bizarre you know it's just completely out of uh out of rhythm with what they believe which is there's judgment you know you if you're good enough you go to heaven or hell um so it's quite a controversial subject but Jesus may have hinted that incarnation is a thing, and Yogananda talks about this. So I wanted to read out a little bit about this um, when he was talking about Jesus and uh, John the Baptist. <clears throat> so there's a bit to read out here. I'll um, read, the, read the first bit, guys. Um, so from a, a reverent study of the Bible, this is in the Autobiography of Yogi, chapter 35, The Christ-like Life of Bhirli Mahishaya. Um, 
from a uh, reverent study of the Bible from an oriental viewpoint and from the institutional uh, perception, I'm convinced that John the Baptist was in past lives the guru of Christ. Now, this is Yogananda talking. Uh, there are numerous passages in the Bible that refer infer that John and Jesus in their last incarnations were respectively Elijah and his disciple. Is it is this Elisha? Elisha? Is that how I'm pronouncing that? I think so. Uh, these uh, are the spellings in the Old Testament, the Greek translators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so uh, in the, the very end of the Old Testament uh, is a prediction of the incarnation of Elijah and Elisha. Um, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Thus John, Elijah, uh, was sent before the coming of the Lord, uh, was born slightly earlier to serve as a herald for Christ, an angel appeared to Zacharias, the father, to testify that his coming son, John, would be no other than Elijah, Elias. So that's pretty powerful uh, statements there from, from Yogananda. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this, uh, Mike? Uh, did, did you, again, was this a, a revelation for you? Did it sort of, sort of uh, did a few dots connect for you when you first read this? Oh yeah, fascinating. Uh, what I just um, noticed is that I sometimes I read this a story like this from Guruji, and I just take everything for granted. Um, I didn't. It just hit me that oh yeah, he's actually talking about reincarnation in this because I just take reincarnation as yes, that exists, that is there, but um, that is that is true. And um, the story that he, him, and his guru were already had the same connection in the previous life is amazing. Unfortunately, I don't know too much about the lives of um, Elijah and Eliseus. Um, otherwise it would become even more intriguing um, that they, they might be out there, but I've never put the effort into read up about them. Frank, do you know, do you know anything about the past lives of Elijah and Elijah? I'd say that I do, but I, if, you, I can, if you want me to meditate for 20 minutes, I can come back to you. <laughs> The power, <laughs> the information <laughs> what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this subject? Did, yeah, did no, this come as a surprise? Um, not really, because uh, because I, <laughs> I, as I said before, I I can read. You can read and interpret the Bible in um, in multiple ways. So, like, I could I could find a completely random verse and link that to reincarnation in like some metaphorical way. Obviously, not in the purely academic and matter-of-fact way that Yogananda has done but I, I do that as I said I do, as I did for that vegetarianism thing I used to do that for reincarnation for karma mm -hmm. for you know re, you reap what you sow and all you know all that knife and I you're trying to make friends uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I used to do as a now um, reading and interpreting scripture is the less importance in my life personally it's uh, more about uh, you know my own my own divine realization not uh, not through scripture not clean through scripture mm -hmm. well do, do you want to take a stand to actually read some scripture then and read the second part um uh, that uh, is is on that um card is that from but the angel 
No, from Jesus twice. Uh, Jesus twice unequivocally identified Elijah, Elias, as John. Elias has come already, and they knew not. They, they knew him not. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Again, Christ says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. When John denied that he was Elias, Elijah, he meant that in the humble garb of John, he came no longer in the outward elevation of Elijah, the great guru. In his former incarnation, he had given the mantle of his glory and spiritual wealth to his disciple, Elisha. And Elisha said, I pray, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall come, it shall be so unto thee. And he took the mantle of Elijah and fell from him. That fell from him. So he's, he's saying that essentially it was the mantle in, in quotations uh, of Elijah given to Elisha. So John the Baptist in a previous life as a guru gave his power to Elisha, who was Jesus in a, in a previous life. Is this the interpretation of this? Is so what, what does that mean? Why, why would you do that? And, you know, well, I, I, I was shocked when I read this because I, I kind of fell off my seat like it's, it's quite an intense thing to do, right? And in the next life, John the Baptist was saying he essentially wasn't worthy uh, to baptize Jesus. I mean, what, Mike, what's your interpretation of this? So again, I wish I knew more about Elijah and Elisha, Elisha but um, apparently Elijah was this massive guru in his past incarnation that people at the time of Christ still knew about. I mean, it was descending age, right? So they still heard the big stories of Elijah. I don't know how, how many years before Jesus he lived, but maybe it was a thousand years or something like that. And so if he would have said, I'm Elijah, then everybody would have said, okay, he's back. It's like when you say now Jesus is back, right? But now let's say Jesus comes back and says, yeah, but I'm not Jesus in this incarnation. In this incarnation, I passed the mantle on to my friend here who will be the, the great guru. And I guess that's what he means by mantle. It means like he plays the role of the, of the guru that will liberate thousands or millions. Frank, is that, is that what you take Yep, yep, agreed. And you know, I come back to um, I come back to the you know the the, the bit where Yogananda meets Mukunda meets Yukteswar, and Yukteswar says to Mukunda, "If you ever see me fall, you know, from mm -hmm. from from my position, then promise to take my head and take take my head in your lap and take me back to the same God that we both." worship and adore so that's a guru saying that to a disciple and so then that in in that way it's also reversed as it is in elijah and elisha and jesus and john and yeah i thought that comparison was apt here as well yeah 
It's, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And um, kind of, I don't know about you guys, but kind of feel like it's a bit of emotion for me that there's such unity and uh, loyalty and love shared between the two and, and Sri Keshwar and Yogananda as well. The commitment is uh, for Guru, uh, Guru to disciple uh, relationship is immense. It's, um, yeah, it takes my breath away really when I think about it. Um, yeah, awesome. but, but was John was John a realized master? Would you say? I mean, yes. If he, yeah, if he so, was, I mean, yeah. if he was, if he, if he was Elijah, the guru in his past incarnation, then he must have been. Uh, yeah, that's that's my take from it as well. So that means that when gurus and disciples switch positions, that means they have to be reborn, but they're reborn not as mere dwellers like us, but actually as realized masters already. Yeah. Um, what struck me, I guess, was curious was John maybe saying that he wasn't worthy. And I suppose it's just a pure sign of true wisdom and humility to say something like that. But mm. um, initially, my the thought was, oh, does he does he not realize the relationship between? Does it does he not remember? Or maybe he did at post post uh, baptism. <laughs> maybe he did. You know, everything came flooding back. But. Um, well, Mark, Yogananda Mark. says Yogananda says in the humble garb of John, he was mm. no longer uh, in the outward elevation of Elijah, the great guru. So I wonder what, well, I don't know much about the history of John, but there must be something to that. And if listeners, mm. if you know, what does he mean by the humble garb of John? And but if, you, if you don't know, we're re reading from chapter 35 of the autobiography of Yogi, which is the Christ-like life of Lady Marsha. So if you want to find it, it's in there gems of uh, pearls of wisdom are in, in that that chapter and we've still got a few topics to to talk about so i want to <laughs> i want to push, push on this a lot. i don't know how long we've been recording but i, I think, I think it's over, over an hour i think but I you can carry on this can be a, a special few <laughs> a few hours a few hours like just come back and listen to it another time um, so th there's a topic uh mike you um quite nicely mentioned there about uh, the second like the second coming of christ coming christ coming back to us, um, you know, if, if uh, somebody came and said, you know, they were Christ, they held some kind of ability to prove that to us, you know, wow, wouldn't we be uh, swept, swept up? But Professor Clooney talked about this in, in the um, interview we did with him. He talked about the second coming of Christ, and typically it's seen as the end of the world, you know, and um, in, in kind of uh, common, common speak. But uh, we would know more as the Christ within us, um, and um, I, I suppose it's a subject that, to your point earlier, Priyanka is quite misunderstood about the difference between Christ and the Son of God, and you know the way to, to God is through me. Um, but in in John Gospel, the Last Supper, uh, I, I wanted to, to read it out um, quickly for me. The, um, the talk there was uh, Jesus um, saying to the disciples that he, you know, he will send an advocate of the Holy Spirit um, uh, that will be with them in a new form uh, and the new uh, spiritual presence of Christ uh, is in the community. So it's the community spirit of Christ. Um, so in John 14, uh, uh, they say, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all the things that will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I will leave with you. 
my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. I uh, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So is, is this what we're to take from this? That it is not Jesus actually coming back as the second coming of Christ, but it is rather the Christ consciousness, the Christ, uh, the spirit of Christ. Is that how you interpret this? Yep. Uh, the advocate can be two things. Uh, it can be, you know, the Holy Communion, which is, which you can experience, um, not not as not as the outward ceremony, the Holy Communion. But I'm talking about the communion in in meditation and the experience of divinity. There is peace, as love, as joy, as wisdom, and and secondly, the other advocate can be um, interpreted as the the uh, Christ-like sage, such as Sri Yukteswar or the Hiri Mahasaya or Yogananda, who is an advocate of Christ and everything that Christ represents, because they are Christ-like um, from, as we can infer from their position, um, from their writing, from the experiences of people that were with them at the time, and also from our own experience when we meditate upon them. Um, and the second coming of Christ is each is 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 that as well is is that experience you know dawning of the realization of that consciousness and experience within us now as opposed to you know on the day of resurrection mm -hmm. no sorry the day of uh, judgment sorry yeah yeah, yeah. and that was uh, john 14 26 27 that was reading 29 actually goes on to say i have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe uh, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that he, so that the world may learn <clears throat> that I love the Father, and I do uh, exactly what my uh, Father has commanded me. Um, like what, what do you what do you take uh, about, about this? Um, this is um, <clears throat> uh, Jesus talking to. The, the disciples at the Last Supper. What, what do you think he meant by the, the prince of the world is coming? By the way, I'm, I know I'm going off topic here, but... Uh... <laughs> I, th I think it's one thing, he says it in a way that it's not him, which is interesting. Like, not sure how, how it was with, like all the great prophets, somehow they are, there's, they always announce the arrival of the next great prophet coming, right? Before they leave. Otherwise, you would maybe run the danger that um, people would say, no, no, we had already the prophet. You're not the prophet. We, we don't need another one. So they always say there's another one coming. There's another one coming. And Guruji says it like in a way that, that whenever, the, whenever the people become too materialistic, whenever the, the thought of God is, is not enough, then... then uh, illumined master comes and spreads the teaching again um and i guess how did he call him prince of what well, prince of the world the prince of the world i i mean my interpretation here is literally talking about like Satan, maya or some kind of evil force say so he's coming he's coming for me he's going to take me but he doesn't have a hold over me i'm going mm. to essentially he's talking about his resurrection uh, in this sense but mm. um that's how i interpreted it uh, but, um, you, you know, when we talk about the second coming of Christ, um, you know, I, I think this is, again, maybe goes to, to speak to the, 
the more subtle energy, uh, re the, the realities of of uh, of spirit, um, and the the ability to uh, not be so material. Uh, and I think Jesus is saying here, you know, for the prince of the world is coming. He has no older for me. He, he means to say that, you know, I, I may die, but I, I will be resurrected. Um, and he comes to, uh, to the world to really show that, you know, to die for the sins. So he's effectively playing a part in this grand play. And so it spoke to the unity of, of good and evil in a sense that we perceive it as. Um, but uh, maybe I'm going off topic, but I just I thought this was on the subject of second coming. Um, and Jesus is talking about his, uh, to his disciples. Priyak, what, what's your take on it? Yeah, I can't, I, I'm actually working my way through the second coming of Christ. Uh, I'm still at the very beginning. So, yeah, I can't uh, comment other, other, any more than what I have done and what Mike and you have said. Mm. Well, cool. There's, there's um, the topic of miracles then uh, that, uh, you know, we, we, again, we could talk about this for a long time. There's exorcisms, there's resurrections of the dead, uh, control over nature, the water, the wine, the, the catching of fish, um, the bread and fish, uh, feeding, feeding that to the masses or the healing of people, um, the lepers, paralytics um, uh, of blind people, the walking in water, so on and so forth. It, it struck uh, a, a question of my mind, if, if I may, uh, again, talk about, talk about this subject. Um, why did Jesus actually perform miracles? Um, and uh, yeah, uh, why, why did he do that uh, in the first place, Priyank? Oh. You know, I, coming from an Indian background, I always compare them, <laughs> compare them to, the to the miracles that I know. So the miracles that I know are, much more miraculous like i, I mean I, may, I talked about krishna in the past i'll give you a couple of examples like um when he was a child he, he krishna was a child he was known to steal butter and stuff from um from all the you know milkmaids in the, in the village and once he was eating dirt uh like you know mm -hmm. dirt from the ground and his mother yashoda was saying don't eat you know what are you doing what have you got in your mouth and he wouldn't open his mouth she said don't eat dirt let me see what's in your mouth and he abstained mm -hmm. you know, closed kept his mouth closed and then and then and then she forced it open he opened it and inside his mouth he she saw the whole of creation and she saw even her looking inside you know looking inside krishna's mouth so she saw the image that she was in so these are and i'll give you a couple more actually seeing as we're on this topic the um another one is um you know there was a terrible storm and this is again when he was a child and um you know in many, a lot of Krishna, the, the child was persecuted because uh, they knew he was going to, you know, slay some of these demon kings. So they they were all after him basically. And so you know there was a big curse and there was lots of rain happening and the whole village was getting flooded. And um, and he lifted. So what he, what he did to protect his village was he he raised a hill. This is as a child and he lifted it on his little finger, and the hill was called Govardhan Hill. And so he called Krishna Govardhan. You know, that's one of the names that we uh, Govinda, Govardhan, we call Krishna these things. So these are, I'm just giving you some context in terms of the difference in miracles. So you, the Christ's miracles are very personable, aren't they? Like we experience, um, you know, people that are ill and we want, to, we want to support their healing process. And Christ did that quite easily. You know, he showed that he can do that. And that showed that he was divine and people, were, people then naturally followed him. And if we look at the miracles in the East, 
Um, and the, you know, the Krishna ones are just, there's even grander ones when you talk about Shiva and other, other gods. Um, those are just completely awe-inspiring, aren't they? You can't even fathom lifting a hill with your finger. I mean, how would that even work? It's, it's, they're talking about planes, planes of consciousness and existence that are beyond this, you know, beyond this, this material world, right? And so how, how does that, but that somehow inspires, you know, the, the state of consciousness of, of, of um, the culture of, of Indians, that is what inspires them, you know, the, com the complete detachment from the mundane, i.e. the sick and needy here to complete, you know, creating and destroying universes, that's the level that that's on. Interesting. Mike, what, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I was also in when I was young and I read about Indian masters, miracles play such a much, much bigger role than in Christianity. Um, I, maybe in Jesus's time, this wasn't really the time for big miracles or something. What I can think of in the in, in the Old Testament, you, you think of Moses splitting the Red Sea. That's pretty cool, I think. That's not bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like in, 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 in Indian uh, history, you just have so much, such a manifold history of, of miracles. And I think it's like what Priyank said, you do this to reveal to people. Sometimes a master has to reveal that he's godly in that way by showing a miracle. And sometimes it's also when there's like a miraculous healing, then maybe it's just a good karma of that person that, that mm -hmm. they get healed. And if it happens in a public way, I, I feel in general, those people who, like you said earlier in, the, in this section that carry the mantle, they have the license to, to um, create miracles, right? And, and if you think about Guruji, for example, he was also not like the person who would like have the, the big miracles happen every every day, but every now and then some something big happened. Why do you think, Chris? What is the need for miracles? I, I echo what you guys were saying there. I think um, you know Jesus would have surely had powers to manipulate the material world around him uh, to. Uh, the point where he had mastery over the you know the atom the very atom itself so he could you know materialize himself post death um, so when you extrapolate that out you you look at the cities you know we talk about the cities um, and the uh, ability to to um, have mastery over nature and there's plenty of stories of these in the autobiography of a yogi with saints uh, what's the, the saint um, the one I really jumped out to my mind was the one who the perfume saint in the autobiography of a yogi so you know whether it's something as mundane as that or you know lifting up a, a hill or a mountain with your little finger i suppose you know when you get to the level of mastery of, of uh jesus and, and uh, krishna it's kind of all the same i uh, i would imagine it's not mm. probably too much different right in principle it's mastery over the self over the very atoms of creation and uh yeah, I, I think the thing that Mike said there, it's, you know, the, the, um, the karma of the people who were, he was close to, um, the healing of, the, of those who had faith. I think that's the biggest thing to my mind is they had to have faith in him and he had to, he was rewarding that faith for those who he was surrounded with at the time. Um, and those who didn't have faith, he 
you know, he probably couldn't do anything with them because he couldn't work with them in, in the way that he could with the, those who had faith. And that's a big thing in, in what we are told in SRF as well. You know, if you look at a picture of Lahiri Mahesha, if you don't have faith that he's actually there with you, he, he's not he's not going to be. You need to really, you know, uh, you know, but believe it. You need to have faith in it. So, so I, I don't know why he did it. Is probably a little bit of give and take, you know, with, with the people that he was surrounded with at the time, and obviously his ability to uh, and mastery over over nature. Um, so yeah, those those are my thoughts. Uh, there's a great uh, little bit in the autobiography of a yogi. Um, about uh, you know Sri Yukteswar uh, talking about Lahiri Mahesha. Um, Mike, do you want to do you want to read that out? Just it's just a few sentences. Mm -hmm. um, Sri Yukteswar went on to read the marvelous story of Lazarus' resurrection. At its conclusion, Master fell into a long silence. The sacred book open on its knee, on his knee. I too was privileged to behold a similar miracle. My guru finally spoke with solemn unction. Lahiri Mahashaya resurrected, one of my friends from the dead. The young lads at my side smiled with keen interest. There was enough of the boy in me to, to enjoy not only the philosophy, but in particular, any story I could get Ryukteswar to relate about his wondrous experiences with his guru. So there's miracles happening you know, with Lahiri Mahashaya um, as well. And I thought that was just a pretty epic one because both Sri Yukteswar and Lahiri Mahashaya were so humble. You know, they, they, they wouldn't have talked about it themselves. But yeah, I love, how, I love how Sri Yukteswar, when, he's, when he says one of Guruji's friends is not going to die, he says that the earth and, this, uh, and the moon will rather switch place before mm. your friend will die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, Greg. What's what's your take on this uh, uh, mini story here? You know the the bit that um, that that I really love is where he says that he like master fell into a long silence. Hmm. For me, that um, that that just takes you know when when Mike just read it out, it just takes me into. A meditation. I don't know how you're going to put those words together, but it just you, I can just picture Sri Yukteswar just finishing some beautifully said line from, from the Bible and and the resurrection of Lazarus, and and then just can you imagine him just closing his eyes and looking, and then oh wow, I just, I just it just put me in yeah. that spot, you know, next to next to Sri Yukteswar, and I don't know how he how Yogananda does this, but his writing is just you know it's just epic, isn't it? Yeah, he imbues the um, true meaning and that uh, behind the words so well. Uh, I, I the same thing happened to me, Priyank, when I read that. I just kind of sat there for a second myself, like totally transfixed. Um, cool. Uh, so there's there's uh, many many uh, stories there, um, uh, but maybe uh, we want to talk uh, a little bit about the Jesus appearing to Yogananda. At Incinati's Hermitage, uh, who is it would like to jump in and, and talk a little bit about that? I see it on the cards. I don't know who put it there. <laughs> Mike did. Yeah, it came to my mind when we 
we're talking about uh, when we set this episode we would talk about christianity and jesus and that's always one of the things like i read that every now and then because like who can say that jesus appeared to them right it's like especially when you grow up in the west with with all this um christianity um taught and then you can say oh yeah jesus appeared to me while i was sitting there writing a book and it was funny because he also talked about he he would give him um um how, how do you call those those um those bowls that you drink from in the when you're in church and and he and he made he made him drink from it and he taught him he taught him some some beautiful things he said and some prediction about the future that he cannot reveal um i mean so, i so want to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that is pretty amazing. amazing experience yeah oh beautiful epic and um on a on a Similar note, uh, Priyank, I think you added uh, something in here. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, I do. So just um, about the um, Encinitas thing, um, I think also Yogananda consistently says in the second coming of Christ and in the yoga of Jesus, he says, you know, these are, these are not, um, these are not my, these are not something that I'm just coming up with, you know, I'm communing. I'm communing with Christ as I write these words. And and after I've after he finished, he checked with Jesus Christ. He said, Is have I captured your um have I captured you know everything that you think is correct? Everything that I've captured, do you would you do you think is correct? And he and Jesus Christ said to him, You drink from the same cup that I drink. Is, is that something? Mm-hmm. Is that that ring a bell? So yeah, mm-hmm. so he got the confirmation from Jesus Christ. And so you know, you I know you mentioned that he had lots of visions, but doing such an epic work, such as the second coming of Christ, which is you know, 1700 pages, you, he would have had to have been in constant communion with Christ and that is uh, quite a special thought, isn't it? But um, yeah, so back to your point, Chris, about um, um, putting Christ on the altar. Um, so we we know that um, you know Christ was is on the altar of of um, SRF temples and churches, and and from the first um, you know when they first established their first center in like Hollywood and and other places, they they had um, had Christ there, and obviously all the other gurus except for Krishna. And interestingly, uh, the Golden Lotus Temple in Encinitas, that was the only temple to have Krishna in its altar when that was established, when Yogananda came back from from India and was surprised by that, um, by Rajasi Janakananda, which we'll get to later. So that was the only place that had Krishna's um, uh, picture on the altar or Yogananda's um yogananda's didn't during his lifetime he didn't there was no picture of yogananda on the altar like if you pick if you remember like how some of yogananda's prayers he'd say you know Bhagavan, uh, jesus christ um swami sri yukteswar guru preceptor so he'd, he'd he wouldn't say yogananda even though he was clearly their guru and standing in front of them and they accepted him as a guru he would refer to himself as the guru preceptor so he is referring to as you know a sadguru so he doesn't he doesn't want to place any devotion he doesn't want to seek the attention and devotion of the disciples there so apparently srf um, says that it was 
It was the Guru's express wish that the board reinstate Krishna's picture when the time was right. When public appreciation of India's ancient teachings grew sufficiently, the board determined that the time had come on their altars, but not of every Kriya Yoga and lineage. The placement of the images from left to right is, as we know, Lady Mahashai, Babaji, Jesus, Krishna, Yogananda, and Sri Yukteswar on the far right. So then, yeah, so then they added Krishna, and then after Yogananda passed away or had his Mahasamadhi, they added, um, they added uh, Yogananda as well. And in, interestingly, in, in the Ananda um, uh, school, or in the, in the Ananda organization, they don't have Krishna on their altar. They've kept it as it, you know, as Yogananda had requested, or not requested, but had it, it during his lifetime, which was just Jesus and the Gurus. Wow. Awesome. And with that, I think, I don't know how, how long, it's um, going one hour 40 back. minutes, I believe, Chris. You've, no, you've really no. broken broken all the no. rules. No. <laughs> the things we're talking about, Jesus Christ, will, will allow this one. We're allowed to, to. I, I do the <laughs> perception. I'll, I'll have to ask uh, JC if that was okay after, but yeah. Z or JC? Yeah. <laughs> one of them I, I, I'm a big fan of. I'll tell you so much. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, the other one is married to Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um, uh, he's yeah. One one has a bigger following. Following, I that that one. Um, but with that, guys, I think uh, we've covered a lot of topics, some controversial ones in there, uh, and uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So, um, thanks, thanks for all the information. Is there anything else uh, you guys would like to share? Yeah, other than the fact that I love Jesus Christ, nothing else really. We can all agree on that. Good way to end it. Thanks. Thank you very much, everyone. Jai Guru. Jai Guru.